talk to you about reasons to believe. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about how close are we to the Lord's return, to the rapture of the church. I'd kind of intended on preaching on that this morning, uh, but just didn't have time to put all that together and didn't feel like that I was ready to, to bring that in the, in the way that I'd like to, to bring it. But next week, we're going to be examining what does God's Word say about the, the rapture and the second coming of Christ, which is different from the rapture. Uh, what does God's Word say? So we're going we're gonna to look into the Scriptures next week. How close are we? The following week, we're going to talk about one of the most misunderstood doctrines in the church. And you would think it would be the one that people have a grasp of the most. But you hear so many traditional things, you hear so many things pronounced and so many things preached. We're going to talk about the doctrine of salvation. What is salvation? How do you obtain it? What do you need to do to maintain it? Uh, some pretty interesting things we're going to examine from God's Word. Let me give you a heads up. There's nothing you can do to gain it, and there's nothing you can do to maintain it. It is all in God's hands. And it's all because of who we are in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean, now that I've said that, you don't have to come in two weeks. You still have to be here. Uh, but it's going to be an exciting time as we examine those uh, those uh, doctrinal issues. But this morning, I want to talk about reasons to believe. And uh, as I get started, I, I want you to know this is going to be a contrast between biblical Christianity and atheism or secular humanism and how that what we believe is rational. What we believe makes sense that we do not need to apologize. We do not have to take back steps when it comes to defending what it is that we believe. Um, I'm glad this morning. One of the things that I am so very thankful for this morning is that you and I, we have a faith that can be defended. We have a faith that is absolutely rational. It just makes sense. And when you compare it to secular humanism or you can compare it to atheism, which is pretty much the same thing, when you, when you compare it to those, uh, it just makes that much more sense. It's the fool who has said in his heart, there is no God. And folks, that is true. Now, the world likes to come across as being intellectual. The world likes to come across as being brainy as they deny the existence of God. But I got to tell you, supposing themselves wise, they became fools. Because your position in biblical Christianity is true, it's accurate, it is, it's defensible. The evidence both scientifically, the evidence both scripturally, the, the evidence historically, the evidence rationally, all makes sense for us to cling to this as, as the Word of God. Someone says, oh, that's just a crutch to you Christians. You got that right. You got that right. I need this. I can't function. I can't get along without this. And what this tells me about the war that goes on between the flesh and the spirit, my spirit, and which one I desire to win out, sometimes, really want the Spirit to win out, but you know, and we're not talking about the Holy Spirit, because He always wins out. I'm talking about the, the, the Spirit that lives within us, that Spirit that's been quickened, that Spirit that's been made alive. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they do war. But it's just so much more rational to believe. It makes so much more sense to believe what God's Word tells us concerning this life. As we've learned so many different times, the evidence supports biblical Christianity. And every one of us here this morning who claim the name of Christ, we are obligated, 
we are obligated to be able to give an answer always to every man that asks the reason of the hope that's within us. 1 Peter 3.15, that was our memory verse that Howard read just a second ago. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. The word sanctify means to set apart. To set apart. He needs to be the one that's first. He needs to be the one that's most important. Separate the Lord. Make sure people know exactly where you stand, what you believe. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. You know what I find interesting about that verse? Is that verse doesn't say you better be ready always to prove that God exists. That's not what it says. And people will say, well, you can't prove that God exists. And when they've said that to me, in my mind, I, tell, I say, there's so much evidence that declares, I mean, the heavens declare the glory of God. They just need to look. You know, Romans 1, make sure that, that, that from the beginning, it's the, 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 the spiritual things, that man is without excuse because the, the invisible things clearly show the truth of God's, of God's word, God's existence. But the thing that I say to them is, well, you can't prove he doesn't. You can't prove that God doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, in my opinion, it takes more faith to believe that God doesn't exist than it does to believe that he exists. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. When we're done today, I hope you go, wow, those guys are foolish. Those who, believe, who don't believe in God they have an enormous amount of faith. Because when they say there's no God, what they are exercising is faith and hope. They're hoping there is no God. But folks, I'm here to tell you this morning, the evidence declares, the evidence sides with us that there is a God in heaven. And we are all obligated to be able to give a reason for the hope that's within us. See, you know what God has done in your life. You know the changes that God has, has brought about in your heart. You know the difference that God has made in your life. You know where you would be without Him. Folks, that's argument one as far as I'm concerned. I could close it up. We could have a prayer and go home. We're not. But as far as the truth of the matter is, no one should be able to convince you that there's not a God. Because you know the work that He's done in your heart. You know the difference that God has made in your life. But I think one of the most highly neglected issues that the, from the pulpit today is the defense of the gospel, is apologetics, being able to declare the truth of God's Word, being able to defend the Scriptures, and folks, you need to understand, the enemy today is alive and well. That the enemy today is brazen, he is advancing, and as believers, we need to be able to defend the gospel. But unfortunately, in so many churches today, when you talk about defending the truth of the gospel, most Christians just have that deer in the headlight look. They don't speak up. They don't take that firm stand. I'm hoping that's not the case here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, that we gladly take, a defense, take up the defense of the gospel, if nothing else, just saying what God has done in our lives and the difference that he's made in our lives. Kind of reminds me of two British sailors I don't know why the story is British, but that's what the story is. The two British sailors that were coming out of a, a pub, and it was, the fog was heavy, and they were a little bit tipsy, and they see a guy standing under one of the, head, the, the street lamps, and they ask him, they said, hey, do you know where we are? And they couldn't see all the insignias on this guy's uniform. They didn't know he was a high-ranking officer. Do you know where we are? 
And this man said, do you know who I am? And one of the sailors turned to the other one and said, boy, we're in trouble. We don't know where we are, and he doesn't know who he is. Well, that's sort of what the problem is in the church today. It's almost in the same position. Who are we? Where are we in God's plan, God's scheme? As members of the body of Christ, what is God's purpose? But so many of the churches today, they don't know where they are in God's plan. They don't know who they are. So they struggle, they falter, they fall, they have difficulty when all they have to do is turn to God's Word. And it is so clear where we are, where we're going, who we are as joint heirs of Christ. But too often they don't get that teaching. And it's that sound teaching that causes the church to be healthy, that causes its people to be witnesses, to understand their role as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in the 21st century church, it desperately needs to regain its bearing and its sense of purpose. It's integral as we are in the last days. I am convinced of that. We see all the things that are going on around us today. One thing I know, one thing I feel, there's one thing I feel and there's one thing I know. What I feel is we are close to the rapture, that we are living in the last days of this present dispensation. I feel that. I don't know it, but I feel it. Here's what I do know. I know God's grace is amazing. And whether we go another week or another year or another thousand years, what I know is that God's patience, God's long-suffering, God's delay is all because He is gracious, He is long-suffering, He is not willing that any should perish, that He is giving us an opportunity to share the gospel, the grace of God with a world that so desperately needs to hear. The church needs to understand that we are living in the last days. Turn with me to 1 Timothy, chapter 1. I'm chapter 4, verse 1. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly. That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. That article is definite. That article needs to be there. From the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. Now that departing from the faith, uh, I think it's, we, we need to understand, because I think there's two classifications here. I think that there are men and women in the pulpits today that are de- that are preaching, they're standing, I'm not sure if they're preaching, they're standing before a congregation and they're declaring something. The number one, have no business in the pulpit. The message that they're preaching is not scriptural, but yet they're in the church, they're trying to make the people feel good, they're trying, they're saying things that are not scriptural at all, and they have, they're, they're not teaching the faith. Who knows what it is that they're trying to get, a, get across? But I've, I've, I'm aware of some of these people. They are not saved. They have never been saved. They have never believed that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. They've never had a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're still filling pulpits where their, their robes are hanging and declaring things that are not scriptural, and people's ears are being, and not all, not all of them have ropes, by the way, but preaching things, t- tickling people's ears, telling them things that they want to hear, and the people are flocking to go and f- hear these feel good, tell me what I need to do so I don't feel guilty type sermons. They've departed the faith. But I know there's also people who have been made new creations, who have had dynamic ministries in the past, that are walking away, who are departing from the faith, doesn't mean they lose their salvation. 
They're not losing their salvation, but I don't want to be in their shoes. I don't want to be them at the Bema seat when they stand before Christ. But we have this scripture that even when we believe not, talking about those who believe, even when we believe not, he remains faithful before he cannot deny himself. They're part of the body of Christ. Oh, how thankful I am for that scripture. But they have departed the faith. Just this past week, uh, uh, Joshua Harris, who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye, decided, I've had enough. I'm just... I, and, and you know what the key thing was? I've told the LBGTQYZPOR community what bad people they are, and I, I feel so guilty about that, and I was wrong. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He says, I've taught things that I just don't believe anymore. Oh, Josh, don't do this. Pray for Joshua Harris. Pray for him. This is serious. Beth Moore. How many of you have ever heard of Beth Moore? Yeah, most, most everybody's heard of Beth Moore. What is she teaching when she stands before women? That the LBGQ, whatever it is, community, it's okay. What, what is going on with these people? The only explanation is what God's Word says. The only explanation is what we just read. Seducing spirits. Seducing spirits blinded them to the truth of what God's Word says. All over the airport, and I really didn't want this sermon to get into this, but at the airport, you kept seeing these t-shirts that just says, love is love. Love is love. So as long as it's love, it's got to be right. No! No! It's not all about love. I used to love the horses that we had. How many of you love dogs? I'm not going to get into that this morning. But I'm telling you that the world is so messed up that those seducing spirits are so active that it shouldn't surprise you that you have the Joel Osteens and all of these other preachers standing up and embracing certain lifestyles that God condemns in His Word and says it's sin. What we're needing is to not listen to these seducing spirits and start calling sin, sin, to keep preaching that hell is hot, that people need Jesus Christ, and without Christ, they're going to die and they're going to go to hell. That is what we need to be preaching from God's Word. But they want their doors open and the people flooding in and the coffers being filled and they want to be embraced by the world, and they don't, here's what they don't know. The world hates them. The world hates them. And it's going to turn on them in a heartbeat. Anyway, I don't know how we got into that. That's truth. That's truth. We are living in the last days. And folks, gone are the days when the legitimacy of the church was assumed. Gone are the days when faith was accepted and respected. Christianity today is under fire, and that fire is no longer under control. It used to be that the attack against Christians was confined to the hall of academia or studies of some pompous, uh, arrogant philosopher. But now common, everyday, hard-working folks that used to accept the validity of the Bible as being true is now questioning more than ever. And that's why it's so important that the church be prepared to answer their questions, that be prepared to stand on God's Word and not apologizing for believing what God's Word says. It's what gets me is how many Christians, when they're confronted, well, the Bible says this about that. Do you agree with that? As if it's wrong to, to agree with the Bible. When they ask me, I'm going to agree with the Bible. 
Well, you know that that's not making you a very nice person. Says who? According to whom? I guess preposition, whom? To whom does it make me a very nice person? I would rather obey God than man. It is not man's favor that we seek. Yet so many Christians are losing sight of that. It is not man's favor that we seek. The truth of the gospel is no longer embraced. Today it's popular, unfortunately, to attack the truth of Scripture. Sam Harris came out with a book called Letter to a Christian Nation. He was one of the first that came out hostile, hostile against Christianity and basically declared that he believes that Christianity or all religions, as far as that goes, should be abolished for the good of man. For the good of man, all Christianity, all religions should be abolished. You have the Richard Dawkins an acclaimed atheist in his book, God Delusion, Christopher Hutchins, or Hitchens, one of the two. Uh, he knows better now. But Christ, uh, Christopher Hitchens, and all of his books and debates with Richard Dawkins, and all just vigorously, vigorously promoted the abolition of religion. Matter of fact, if you ever hear the term uh, Hitchens Razor, you know what that is? Hitchens razor, it's a saying that what can be asserted without evidence, and he's talking about Christianity, he's talking about the fact there's a God, what can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. That's one of his famous sayings. And the world goes, wow, he's smart. Once again, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God tirade after tirade against all religions and they'll say away with such nonsense that's become their battle cry they're dedicated they're committed to the mission of eradicating all faith-based groups they promise a world of new hope that's one of their new sayings they've promised a world of new hope well actually i want to tell you what atheism does it abolishes hope. It doesn't provide new hope. Atheism abolishes hope. Hope in man? You've got to be kidding me. Hope in man? I don't think so. Unlimited, unlimited horizons. That's another thing. If we abolish religion, we abolish Christianity. Unlimited horizons. That's another way of saying, hey, anything goes. To thyself, to thy own self be true. Whatever you want to do, if it feels good, do it. Unlimited horizons. No one is going to tell you what to do. There is no God. Therefore, there is no moral authority except for what man devises himself. Is that the, does that sound rational to you? Does that sound hopeful to you? Does that sound safe to you? I hope not. They say that once mankind has shed this delusion of God and cast off these religious restraints and all, organ all organized religions are abolished, then mankind is going to be at peace. Folks, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, the evidence is the opposite. Proverbs 29:19. Tim, put up Proverbs 29:19. Boy, we need uh, oh, thank you, Tim. You got the right verse. I was wrong. Boy, is this verse misquoted and misunderstood and misread. 
where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. Where there is no vision, the, the Hebrew there has to do with revelation. Where there is no revelation from God, where, there, where God does not speak, the people perish. The word per- it literally means they cast off restraint. Hey, when you cast off restraint, what are you going to do? You're going to perish. By, by the way, there's another study that shows that attending church is healthy. Coming to church is good for you. On the average, people live longer going to church than people who don't go to church. Amen, Marge? (laughs) Going to church is good for you. But where there is no revelation from God, when you don't invite Him into your schools, when you don't invite Him into your public arena, when you don't invite the Word of God into your life so you know what God's Word says, when, when there is no Word from God, the people cast off restraint. Anything goes. What a danger that is. Is that rational? You know, on the surface, that may sound good. On the surface, and that's one of the things when you have two people preach for you two Sundays in a row, what used to fit no longer fits. I don't know if it's me with a big head or Mike with a big head. But when you cast off restraint, there's danger. There's absolute danger. It's just not rational to think that anything, anything goes. The atheist believes that by f- that, that, that there's nothing more that the greatest accomplishments of man is what's at stake. It's what's needed. See, the question is, or the question becomes, and, and follow me on this, and, and tell me if you think this is true. See, the question is not, is there a God? The question, well, if you start out with that question, uh, is there a God? Then the question is going to be, and if you say, no, there's not a God, then the question is going to be, is this all there is? Is this all there is? And you know what the next question is? And, and this is not me. By the way, I didn't come up with this. I'm not this smart. There are atheist philosophers who are uh, talking about this. So the first question is, is there a God? The second question after they've said no is, is this all there is? You know what the third question is? What mode of suicide? That's not me, that's them. What mode of suicide? So you tell me, do we want to live For the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer, the one who gives us purpose, the one who constrains us, the one who motivates us, the one who directs us, the one that sets forth his commandments, his law, his purpose. There's safety there. Isn't there safety there? When I was growing up as a kid, you know, and and as a kid, maybe I I would disagree at the time, but I love the rules my mom and daddy put down. There was safety knowing that I better not do certain things that they told me not to do. And it's the same way with God. Same way with God. Atheists will tell you that there's no higher good than man's accomplishments. There's no greater purpose than fulfilling one's own desires. I don't know about you, but that's not appealing to me. That sounds awful scary. And if there's no other evidence for God, then the danger that secular humanism and atheism presents, 
I'm going to believe. I'm going to select the true God of heaven. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We read that before? Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Folks, that appeals to me. That appeals to me. The security in knowing that He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life, and I have found guidance, I have found direction, I have found purpose in Him. That just speaks volumes to me. That is reassuring. Pascal, in the 17th century, he talked about that God vacuum, that God vacuum that's in every man. And I agree with him. There is that God vacuum. There is that need in every man's heart, in every man's life for God. But so many people push that out. There's no God. There's no moral authority for our behavior. The atheist says, I am my own way. To where? I am my own way. Christ says, I am the way. The atheist says, I'm my own way. And my question to them would be, to where? To where? Destruction. Destruction. To hell. The atheist says, I am my own truth. Wait a minute. Didn't you just tell us that there are no absolutes? The truth is relative? That's kind of a scary platform to stand on. If there, are no, if there are no absolutes, first of all, what's wrong with that? I mean, and that's one of the things that they've always spread. There are no absolutes. Well, that was just an absolute statement. So I've always scratched my head at that. But they're their own truth, yet they'll tell you there are no absolutes, that truth is relative. That is so confusing. Aren't you glad you believe what you believe? that you know where to find the truth, you know where you can anchor your soul, you can, you, it gives you purpose. The atheist says, I am my own life. Thinking they're in control of their own life, I got news for them. It's appointed that a man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. Ravi Zacharias, in his book, The End of Reason, has a response to the new atheist. But first of all, I got ahead of myself. God's word is clear that the first step in building a platform in defense of your faith and defense of God's word is knowing that he is faithful, that he never fails, that he sustains, that he is reliable, and that his word is true. John 8, 26, Christ says that he that sent me is true. I believe that. See, I don't have to go searching for truth. I know right where it is. Psalm 3, 4 says, Let God be true, but every man a liar. I can count on God being true. Revelation 3, 17, the angel describing Christ talks about the fact that he that is true. What a joy it is for us as believers to know that we have that truth and that Christianity, it is safe, it is productive, it is healthy, it, both in our relationships and in our finances and, and in our lifestyle. Christianity is healthy. And that's when I was going to talk about Ravi Zacharias. In his book, The End of Reason, he has a, a story about a guy by the name of Michael Fuqua. He's French. Michael Foucault. He was a leading proponent 
of atheistic values. And his whole philosophy can be summed up in this, that it is forbidden to forbid. It is forbidden to forbid. He searched for pleasures without fences. He desired no moral barriers. His famous quote is, I would like and hope I'll die of an overdose of pleasure of any kind. He self-destructed. He died a hideous death from AIDS several years back. A life without any point of reference for meaning other than what it gives one at that time, that moment, so absolutely dangerous. Does that appeal to you? Does that appeal to you? A life void of God is frightening. And I think one of the greatest arguments for God one of my greatest arguments for God is, folks, I need Him. I need Him. He fulfills that longing in my soul. You say, well, that's not proof of God. Oh, yes, it is. Try to convince me otherwise. You won't do it. I know that longing that He fulfills. I know what it is that He supplies. He has proven himself faithful to me over and over and over again in my life. And I can't deny it. So do we accept the revelation of God as put forth in the scripture? With its story of redemption, with its story of hope and forgiveness and purpose and grace and love. Or the humanist manifesto with this emphasis on the collective wisdom of man and the no boundaries that it's forbidden to forbid, which one sounds more rational, more hopeful, safer? I know which one sounds safer to me. Now, there's so many others. I, I was going to talk about Oscar Wilde. The world applauds him. The world applauds this Michael Fuqua as a great philosopher. Bertrand Russell, they, all of these philosophers that lived lives in such a way that it just burned out. And the world said they did it their way. There's a way that seems right unto man. But the end thereof is what? Death, destruction. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 says for us to love the Lord God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. Folks, that's what I encourage you to do. Proverbs 1, 7 says that, we're, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The world may pat itself on the back. They may think they're the intelligentsia, but I got news for you. Supposing themselves wise, they really aren't. They're not to be respected they are to be pitied. John 17, 17 says, Thy word is truth. Don't apologize for believing this word. Historically, scientifically, in all manner, even origins, origins, real, real quick. If you believe God created you believe God designed, you believe God ordered, you believe the Genesis account, you're on much safer, you're on much solid scientific ground than the atheist who hold to evolution. See, you either believe that God created, designed, and ordered, or you believe that it came about by random chance. Nothing could be more foolish, nothing could be more impossible than random chance. If you reject God, you have to believe that something came from nothing. 
And that is absolutely contrary to science. It is impossible. Right, mate? Right, Eric? It's impossible. Nothing. They're both scientists. They're both doctors. Nothing. You can ask, hey, if you don't believe me, catch them on the way out. They'll tell you. Life cannot come from non-life. Something can't come from nothing. Bertrand Russell, in his defense of atheism, in defense of, of evolution, made this statement that the world has just applauded and cheered and stood in awe and wonder over how could a man be so smart. Bernard, uh, Bertrand Russell said, the universe is just there. You know, and the hard thing is trying to, well, what's he saying? Well, the universe is just there. And we have to accept it by faith that it came about by random chance. No, by faith I'm going to believe that God spoke it all into existence by his word, that it was less than 10,000 years ago, that I'm going to believe the Genesis account that he didn't do it by evolution, he did it by the power of his name. By the power of his word. That's how it came into being. That life did not come from non-life. Francis Crick. I'm just, just so you know, we believe in creation, right? Amen? We believe that in a literal Genesis account. And we don't apologize for that. Because we believe science is really on our side. Unless you're Francis Crick who was a pretty famous scientist. He's the co-founder of the DNA molecule. So somebody like Francis Crick, you're going to think, this guy's pretty smart. And he's applauded. People think he is smart because he believes, not so much in evolution, but he believes that aliens came to this earth and planted a seed and they came in their spaceship and then they left and they're cultivating to see what's going to happen. Wow. Now see, that's what the world believes, but yet you're the ones who are criticized for believing that God created. Give me God any day over aliens. Give me God any day over a cosmic burp. that brought it all into existence. I, I'm going to hurry. I'm going to hurry. Evolution is not science. It is all based on speculation, speculation, speculation that's actually contrary to science. There's no proof, yet the world accepts it. You know why they accept it? Because if they don't accept evolution then they have to admit, well, there's a God. And if there's a God, maybe, just maybe, He's boss. And we'll have to answer to Him one day. And they don't want that. So man devises another system that explains life as we know it, but without any merit, without any proof, without any scientific background Donald Page of Princeton's Institute, Institution for Advanced Science calculated that the odds against our universe happening by chance is 10 trillion to the 124th power see when scientists finally get honest 10 trillion to the 124th power folks that's mind-boggling. Actually, when you did as bad in math as I did, you really don't have a concept of what that's talking about. But I know it has to be a lot. That's a lot. See, it's simpler to believe that God did it. Sir Fred Hoyle, an astro astronomer, Use this analogy to express the difficulties of life originating by chance. He said, if you would take a blindfold, put it on a person, give them a Rubik's Cube, 
and say, move, or you can do a, a move every one second. A blind person can't see it. He's just doing, you know how many years it would take him to get all the yellows and all the oranges and all the reds and all the greens and all, you know how long that they calculate it would take a blind person to do that? And they say that this is the equivalent of life coming about by random chance. It would take him 1.35 trillion years. 1.35 trillion years. And you say, ha ha, yeah, but then it's possible. Well, you live 1.35 and we'll just and we'll just and we'll discuss it. But, but not only 1.35 trillion years do they say it'll take, the interesting thing is they'll tell you that the chance of, uh, 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 the chance of, of the chance of, of life evolving and, and, and random life coming from non-life would be the same as if a tornado blew through a junkyard where located in this was located in this was located in this junkyard, but it was all and a and a and a tornado came through, and as that hurricane came through, what it left in its wake. Well, a fully operational 747 ready for the pilot to get in and fly away. Which one's more rational? To believe that God did it? One more. They'll tell you that this all came about by a big bang. The big bang versus the Genesis account. They'll tell you that true science has determined... Thanks to a guy, a, a genius, Edwin, uh, Edwin Hubble. I mean, this guy was a genius. That the galaxies are moving away from us and from one another at enormous speeds. And they've continued to study that. And in 1965, two physicists discovered that the Earth is bathed in a faint glow of radiation. And that these wave patterns verify that at one time, that at one time, there was an immediate, there was a, a uh, a blast, and in a, in a, not so much a blast, but in a moment of time, it all took place. That, that this wave of radiation, and again, don't ask me to explain it, talk to me and Eric. This wave uh, that, that that happened. It was, they say it was a big bang, and it all, in a moment's time, came into existence. And they go, aha, see there, science proves the big bang. And to them, that's reasonable that the universe came into existence suddenly. Okay? I believe that. I believe the universe came into existence suddenly when God said, let there be light. Boom! See, scientists are not going to dispute the Word of God and the truth of God's Word. It is going to support it, but it all depends on how you decipher. How, the, the track that you're on. As far as us, as far as me, I'm going to believe God's word. I'm going to take God's word. I know, I know that uh, the other side is going to say, well, that preaching of the cross is foolishness. And I'm going to start, I'm going to continue to be foolish. And to me, I choose to believe that my faith in a God who loves me and who is willing to take my place and die for my sins is rational. It's meaningful. It gives me purpose. 
It holds me accountable in a way that I need to be held accountable. And it provides me with that crutch that I so desperately need. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and how we thank you for your word and the truth of it is that regardless of how many people have tried to stamp it out, how many emperors, how many world leaders, the evilness that have come, has come against it. Father, it still stands. It still rings true. Father, I thank you for that truth. And Father, may we never pale. May we never back away. May we never, ever surrender to the forces that would tell us that our walk with you is not worth it. That what we believe is false. Father, your word tells us that you are true and I believe it. And Father, I know there's coming a day where I will no longer walk by faith, but I'll walk by sight. But Father, until that day, I'm going to continue that you, that you exist and that you love me and that you have made me your child, that you have made me a new creation, and I am going to gladly serve you, and I pray that each and every person here feels the same way. But Father, just in case there's someone here who's never trusted you as Savior, they've never believed that you died for them, that you were buried for them, that you rose again for them. Father, may this be the moment in the quietness of this time when they realize their need for the true and loving Savior. And by faith they come to you. Not depending on their works or their deeds or their intellect, coming to that cross and with grateful hearts believing that Christ paid the debt they owed. We thank you for the truth of your word. and May we forever stand upon it. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.